Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything. Myself a bottle of gin, and 
Then I'm gonna call my buddy on the telephone and say. so hard all day long everything I try to do seems to always turn out wrong that's why I want to stop by on my way home and say now let me tell you one more thing a little taste, but don't lose your cool and stop messing up the man's place, ain't no harm, take a little nip, but don't you fall down and bust your lips, no, no. And today's uh, It's My House uh, is titled Hollywood, an Intentional Jewish Filmmaking Community. Hollywood, an Intentional Jewish Filmmaking Community. Live stream number 619-768-2945. Once again, 619-768-2945. Like we've mentioned earlier this week and last week, there are many different types of intentional communities. And if you're looking to get civil rights, equality, justice, whatever you're looking for, you might have to create it by creating your own intentional community. And um, if you look at the history of Hollywood, uh, that's what Hollywood was or is to uh, Jewish people um, that were interested, now, not, not all Jewish people, but Jewish people that were interested um, in filmmaking and the filmmaking industry, because there's, there's a lot. When you say industry, that, that includes a lot of other things. Um, was Hollywood the first in the United States? Well, No. There was a there was and is a Yiddish uh, filmmaking industry still exists today, uh, based I guess mostly out of New York. But in any event, uh, let's see. Uh, hold, I'm trying to find out which one to start off with. Um, 
Okay, here we go. Um, matter of fact, there's a book that you can get off Amazon called An Empire of Their Own. I just started reading it this morning. So anyway, let's go through the history of Hollywood uh, with our podcast today, Hollywood, an intentional Jewish filmmaking community. These images conceal memories. Beneath Hollywood's familiar stories lies a hidden history of persecution and murder which haunted a small group of men. Not American cowboys, but Jewish immigrants. This is the story of the founders of Hollywood. The story of the idea that became their America and ours. What is America to me? Modern America first saw light on a Hollywood screen. It was largely the product of six movie studios established in the 1920s and run for over 30 years by a group of Jewish immigrants. They had strikingly similar backgrounds. All of these men who founded Hollywood were born within a 500-mile radius of one another, and all of them wound up roughly within 15 miles of one another in Los Angeles. One could say that the American dream was really born in Eastern Europe. century, movies reflected the vision of America shared by Thomas Edison and the other men who invented the film industry. Most of these old-stock Protestants saw film as an amusement for the working classes. Adolf Zucker believed that to attract the middle class, one had to change not just the theaters, but the films. Bypassing Edison, he imported from France this film, featuring a famous stage actress. He premiered it in a Broadway theater. Not wanting to depend on Europeans for quality films, Carl Lemley and the other Jewish exhibitors began producing their own films. Edison decided that the Jews had overstepped their bounds. To shut them out in 1908, he organized a producer's trust that declared a monopoly on film production in America. Seven years later, Edison's trust would lose its monopoly in the courts. But in 1912, to escape Edison and the goons he sent to enforce his control of the industry, the future moguls headed west to the orange groves of California. Here they found immediate success. Now, why did they move to California? I believe that they went there because California was a raw social environment. And although there was a social system in place, it was nowhere near as sophisticated and nowhere near as entrenched as the social hierarchy in Boston 
or New York or even Chicago where these moguls came from. So coming to California, they realized that they could create their own social environment. They could create an empire of their own, not only on screen, but within their own lives and their own social environment. And that's precisely what they did. Following Lemley by 1920, Harry Cohen, Zucker, Goldwyn, Fox, and Mayer had set up their own studios, Golden Shtetls, where each was clearly in charge. And these guys were ruthless. They used women. They treated stars uh, brutally sometimes. Why do I run it? It's like a horse sense, goddammit. Showmanship! And also, I hope I told you this, I am bigger and meaner and louder than any other kike in this town. Did you tell him that, Lou? And I don't mean my dick is bigger than yours. It's not a sexual thing, although you're a writer, you know more about that coffee. Jack Warner was considered a primitive, uh, uh, t told terrible jokes. From beginning to end, the executive had the primary input into the picture and supervised every aspect of production over and above the fact that beyond any individual picture, it was the executive who created the entire studio apparatus. Every producer who worked there, every director who worked there, every writer who worked there, and every star who worked there was part of the larger system that was created by the Hollywood Jews. I'm not sure that there was an, quote, American dream before the Jews came to Hollywood and uh, invented it. Um, what you had was a westward movement, and you had the idea of freedom, but you didn't have uh, what we have today, which is a popular culture that creates uh, dreams. That's a dream factory. They created their own America, an America which is not the real America. It's their own version of the real America. But ultimately, this shadow America becomes so popular and so widely disseminated that its images and its values come to devour the real America. And so the, the grand irony of all of Hollywood is that Americans come to define themselves by the shadow America that was created by Eastern European Jewish immigrants who weren't admitted to the precincts of the real America. In the 1920s and 30s, movie houses became temples of the new Hollywood religion. Jewish values made kitsch. 75% of all Americans went to the movies at least once a week. This kind of movie going was religious because it had to do with worship. It had to do with the screen being larger than you were uh, and you being in awe of what you were looking at and feeling a certain reverence for it. And so there was maybe you could say a bogus spirituality, but it was a spirituality still that was believed in. And here Actors became the gods and goddesses of the new American religion. Getting cheerfully mobbed. It's frenzied friendship, frantic fandom. Here she comes, the star. And where there are new gods, there must be new idols. So the studio heads began a movie guild with a lofty title of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. It was Mayer's brilliant idea to create the Oscars, where the movie moguls could honor themselves by giving each other awards. In this way, they went from being a group of immigrant Jews 
award-winning American producers. The whole notion that Hollywood pins itself on is intermarriage. The whole idea of inter-ethnic romance. Now, why do they do that? First of all, because love is a very democratic ideal. It knows no borders, it knows not riches, it knows not tradition, it knows simply the matters of the heart. In addition to that, when a Jew can marry a non-Jew, particularly part of the establishment culture, that's really a wonderful indication of how far up into society Jews have come. The Hollywood Jews may have wanted to marry into white America, but when it came to music, Jewish composers looked to black America. Harold Arlen, the son of a liturgical singer or cantor, became one of the foremost popularizers of the blues. Jews served as messengers, in essence, of black culture. They took it, they consumed it, they integrated it into their own cultural repertoire, and then introduced it to white America that was uh, essentially willing to listen to Jews and uh, to uh, partake of what Jews had to offer in a way that they never would from blacks. One of the things that made American films so exportable is that anyone anywhere could identify with so many of the themes of American movies, one of which was the idea of the outsider, which was a Jewish theme, Jews being outsiders, making films about outsiders. You see this even in monster pictures. I mean, King Kong, uh, there's a film about you know, an outsider. Uh, and yet, it's the monster, if you want to call King Kong that, with whom the audience sympathizes. an outsider. He resembled an elf. Not surprisingly, Universal's films often championed marginal beings who were persecuted like the Jews of Europe. And today's podcast, once again, is titled Hollywood, an intentional Jewish filmmaking community. 619-768-2945. Um... We've been talking about intentional communities, and there are many different type of intentional communities. Well, Hollywood is one of them. And it was started by six Eastern European Jews, all immigrants. And their story, uh, boy, what a story. Not only their story, but, you know, the first and second generation of Hollywood and as you just heard, uh what they did was they they told their story in a dramatic fashion and just a little interesting side piece that you just heard. King Kong basically represented Jewish people. An outsider attacked because he was different. I'm, you know what? I'm going to look at King Kong in a whole different light now. Anyway, uh, there's a book out titled uh, Empire of Their Own, how Jewish people who weren't considered white at the time. All right. Matter of fact, the, the Hollywood, we know today, started out of Yiddish 
Films, which we'll we'll get some information on that later today. But uh, let, let's go back to the development of Hollywood, which once again is a Jewish filmmaking intentional community. <laughs> In creating the great movie musical, Hollywood adapted the Broadway musical, an original American art form almost wholly created by fellow immigrant Jews. The music and lyrics were often based on classic stories, reinterpreted from a Jewish perspective. Almost all of the writing pairs that have come to epitomize uh, Broadway have been Jewish, whether it's Lerner and Lowe and uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Jerome Kern, almost all of them have been Jewish, with the, with the exception, I think, of Cole Porter, really, here. Um, and if you look at their plays, none of them, with the exception of Fiddler on the Roof, are about overtly Jewish themes, but all of them are about overtly Jewish concerns. So take a, a, a play like um, My Fair Lady. That's really about fitting in. Again. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. I think she's got it. I think she's got it. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. By George, she's got it. By George, she's got it. Irving Berlin did more than any composer to Americanize Jewish aspiration. Someday I'm going to murder the bugler. Someday they're going to find him dead. To understand Berlin is to understand the Hollywood moguls. Another cantor's son, he started life in the midst of pogroms. Berlin was a Russian immigrant who would go on to write the quintessential American songs. He's a kind of Cyrano de Bergerac. In the foreground is Fred Astaire, the embodiment of American aristocracy, full of grace and upper-classmanship. In the background, the person writing the music and the lyrics is this little Jewish guy. For over 60 years, he tried to reinvent himself. In the process, he infused life into a whole new American ideal. Along with the unofficial anthem of the United States, Irving Berlin wrote the American classics Easter Parade and that most Jewish of Yuletide fantasies, White Christmas. Often the first thing to go was the Jewish name. The Hollywood Jews were obsessed with erasing anything Jewish in their films, their lives, and the lives of their stars. Theodosia Goodman became Theda Barra. Sofia Kosso became Sylvia Sidney. Isser Danielovich Dembski became Kirk Douglas. Leo Jacobi became Lee J. Cobb. Shirley Shrift became Shelley Winters. Bernard Schwartz became Tony Curtis. David Kaminsky became Danny Kaye. Edward Iskovitz became Eddie Cantor. Melvin Hesselberg became Melvin Douglas. Muni Wiesenfreund, a star of the Yiddish theater, became Paul Muni. Emmanuel Goldenberg became Edward G. Robinson. 
the G was a reminder of who he really was. Nice Jewish girls, such as Lily Palmer, Julie Holliday, and Lauren Bacall, or Betty Persky, helped to define the American woman. Not all the Jewish talent went to Hollywood to assimilate. There were over 50 non-Hollywood Yiddish films produced in New York before the Second World War. These films were the flip side of the Hollywood movies. They parodied Hollywood's optimism and Fred Astaire's top hat gentility. Many who could have gone to Hollywood stayed in New York to make films that expressed their Jewish identity. These films were shown to an audience which was almost entirely made up of, uh, of immigrants and sometimes the, the children of immigrants, and these films, by and large, had a very, very different uh, point of view than Hollywood movies. I mean, the Yiddish movies were kind of fighting a rearguard action to protect certain forms of Jewish cultural expression against the sort of overwhelming, seductive power of the larger American culture. In this classic of Yiddish cinema, a great cantor, played by Moshe Oyser, is drawn into the secular world of opera. On the night of his operatic debut, he learns of his son's death. Unable to perform, he returns to his synagogue to lead the high holiday prayers. Heartbroken, he dies. Here, the attempt to reconcile Jewish and secular worlds ends tragically. Warner Brothers' The Jazz Singer was a revolutionary silent film that broke into sound with each musical number. Here, as in the Yiddish film, a cantor's son, played by Al Jolson, who was in real life a cantor's son, has to choose between American fame and Jewish loyalty. At first, the cantor's son seems to choose Judaism. But in assimilationist Hollywood, the story could not end there. Hollywood had to have a Hollywood ending. Mammy. 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 Here, Dad and his old Jewish ways are dead, while the hero in American blackface sings triumphantly with his Gentile girlfriend waiting in the wings.
The Jewish fear of standing out was expressed through another icon that would make its way to the screen. Superman was invented by two Jewish uh, kids in the late 1930s when there also was a, um, a, a worldwide um, upsurge in, in, in very frightening anti-Semitism. Superman is discovered like Moses in the bulrushes. He's an immigrant from another uh, planet who comes to Earth. He has his identity as a, as a, as a mild-mannered intellectual, but really underneath, he's the man of steel. I think that's a very suggestive Jewish fantasy. It's almost as if he's passing all the time. While the Jew felt like an alien in America, Superman was a real alien. This looks like a job for Superman. Yet incredibly, he is the only superhero who manages to keep his identity secret without wearing a mask. Only Jews could have created a story based on the premise that all one needs is a Gentile demeanor to hide in plain sight. You would have equal opportunity foxholes. If you go back and look at those movies, there was always one Jewish character who was never presented as Jewish, but uh, he was uh, Cohen or Schwartz from Brooklyn. There was always one black character, too. Wesley F. Private, 3rd Engineer Battalion. The American army during the Second World War was not integrated except in Hollywood movies. And the Office of War Information was very eager to keep our enemies from making capital out of any sort of problems in America. So they didn't want movies that had any racial tensions of any sort. Corporal Jake Feingold, 4th Chemical Company, USA. All right, today's podcast was titled Hollywood, an intentional Jewish filmmaking community. And um, we've been talking about, uh, we talked about intentional communities uh, yesterday and last week a little bit. Uh, And basically, what's interesting about intentional communities, because yesterday we talked about the distinction between neighborhoods and intentional communities. Actually, community, every real community is an intentional community. There's some kind of common bond. Now, now a lot of, and I'm just going to use this as an example, because yesterday I used it as an example, a neighborhood of Italian people. And the distinction between, or the dynamic that went on with the neighborhood of 50,000 Italian people, but they were in a, you know, a series of blocks or a Italian neighborhood, but it was a Korean community, which was basically a Korean merchant community that controlled the commerce in an Italian neighborhood. Okay? So, as a side, in air quotes, to black folk, black Americans, African Americans. Just because your skin has a certain tint, does that mean you all think alike? Does not mean you all are alike. The bottom, 
and does not mean you are a community. Skin color does not determine or make up a community. So we're, we're breaking it down, hopefully, where the goats can get it, because every community in reality is an intentional community. Now, we're using for illustration purposes today because there are a gazillion different types of communities. Today, we're highlighting Hollywood. Hollywood is an intentional Jewish filmmaking community. For the, what, two years ago, when there wasn't any uh, so-called black folk getting nominated for Academy Awards, and I, you know, I don't, I hate this about black folk when we do this shit. Stop the when we don't get our fucking way. We got to we have to name call and shame and call people racist or what. Get this is why I'm doing this podcast. Today. Get your own platform. There's a book. I suggest you read it. I, I got my copy this morning. It's on my phone. An Empire of Their Own. It's about how Hollywood, the origins of Hollywood, which was started by five Eastern European Jews, they were immigrants at the time. They were not considered white folk like we consider them white folk today because that's all a part of identity politics anyway. So, so they, and Thomas Edison at the time, Thomas Edison out of New Jersey, basically at one time, he dominated filmmaking. And it was a Yiddish film industry out of New York, but they decided, you know what, we're not going to get on with Edison, but instead of doing a million Jewish march, a Jewish a million man Jewish march or a million Yiddish man march, they decided to get away from the East Coast. They had to get away from Edison in New Jersey, and they went out to California. And even if you go up to Hollywood today, I've never been to Hollywood, but from what I've heard, it's in the ghetto. So they went out there and they started their own intentional community to make their own films. Agents, people going to law school became agents, and you had to go through these agents who happened to be Jewish. The people who opened up the theaters happened to be Jewish. They built their net, their, their network. They happened to be Jewish. That's what an that's what a community in this case. It was some Jewish people that they, instead of trying to get the government, instead of trying to sue Thomas Edison, instead of trying to march for their, in air quotes, rights, they started their own shit. We call it Hollywood. Now, there are other film industries throughout the world which are also intentional communities. The next little short audio we're going to do is about three or four minutes. It's about some the Indian, not a Native American Indian, but from East India, 
from India, Indian filmmakers and what they had to do to get on board within the Hollywood film community, which, once again, I got to spell it out, is an intentional Jewish filmmaking community at at its root. You are talking to Raj Maratra, producer in Hollywood, and he's talking about difference, his experience in difference in Hollywood and Bollywood. I want to make a Bollywood film right now. Yeah, yeah please tell me, tell me. I mean, you have been going good on your your experience in difference in Hollywood and Bollywood. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'm trying to make a Bollywood film right now. Yeah, that's why I'm going for this. So that's why you don't want to speak about how Bollywood differs from Hollywood. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> Otherwise, they will not work with me. <laughs> okay, so tell me that is better side of Hollywood. That don't hurt. Yeah, better side of Hollywood? Yep. There is no better side of Hollywood. You have to be Jewish to be in Hollywood. <laughs> you mean as a producer? At any level, yeah. Any level. So you see that there is a racial discrimination in Hollywood? Oh, yes, all the time. So what did okay? So tell me, what problem did you face as an Indian producer? As an Indian producer, you know, you can make a movie, but then again, who's going to buy it? The Hollywood uh, big studios, you know, all controlled by Jews. They don't want to let, let others get in, you know. Exceptions, there are exceptions. Ashok is very successful. But so can you tell about some specific experience, like in a movie? Uh, uh, no, I, I'll tell you about his film. Okay. You know. He's also Sir. a producer. He made a movie. Oh. Remember, he changed the name as producer. Oh. He put a Jewish name. And he <laughs> sold the film. <laughs> he made the movie. Oh. Imaginary Jewish name. Dallas is my film. It's sold. So that's how it is. All over the world. So yeah. means, all over America. Means even the distributors are all Jewish? Oh, yes. Jewish love Hindus, you know? डिस्ट्रीब्यूटर्स जूस हैं उसके अलावा चोर भी हैं आई मीन दे स्क्रूड मी अ बिग टाइम यार सारा पैसा खा गया थे मेरा तो व्हाट्स द टिपिकल बजट यू वर्क आई मीन व्हाट्स द बजट लास्ट फिल्म आई डिड वाज लाइक फॉर 2.2 मिलियन डॉलर्स एंड आई डिड 4 मिलियन बिजनेस सो लाइक यू आर इन द मॉडेस्ट कैटेगरी बजट या या आई एम नॉट इनटू द 30 एंड 50 मिलियन बीएस यू नो so what what's the what what do you see as the future of hollywood i mean do you see a bright future or you see hollywood a, yeah hollywood always will be there yaar so even in like in the days of youtube when people are getting entertainment no, no, still i mean you cannot take away the big screen you know there'll be some changes but you know so digital movie screen. making will reduce ah, the nah, cost nah. or do you think there's nothing going to change <clears throat> another 5 years maybe digital movie will come up not right now because you know resolution nahi hai na बॉलीवुड So what kind of me for me so what what kind of movie you want to make in bollywood bollywood i want to make a comedy a french comedy mhm i mean take off from a french comedy indian adaptation of course of course 
Indian dialogues, Indian actors, Indian actors. Did you like uh, Indian comedy, like the you know kind of Dhan Sapka, which comedy was there? I mean, do you think that's of any class? Which Dhan Sapka? I mean, our David Dhan. Oh, David, I like David Dhan. It's cheap comedy, but you know, it makes you laugh. What the heck? You say in the comedy, technicalities doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what matters is that whether you are laughing at it. Exactly, 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 exactly. Okay, and in Bollywood, uh, uh, of course, that's the film industry. That's an intentional community of filmmakers out of India. And instead of trying to get on the Hollywood platform, they create God knows countless of jobs for all kind of people attached to the film. I mean, lawyers, agents, movie houses, actors, actresses, directors, et cetera, et cetera. They have their own the film film industry called Bollywood. In, in Africa, you have Nollywood in, in Nigeria, out of Nigeria. Uh, you have uh, Riverwood out of Kenya. Um and it, like I said, they're all they're different type of intentional communities. Today we're focusing on uh, Hollywood, which is an intentional Jewish filmmaking community. Why did they start it? Because when they started it, they couldn't get on elsewhere. It was, I mean, a lot of people just didn't like Jews at the time. They weren't looked at as white folks. They're looked at as white folks today, but they weren't looked at as white folks then. And what's also interesting is like Warner Brothers. Now, Warner Brothers, the, the pronunciation, Warner, spelled W-A-R-N-E-R, Warner, that's the anglicized sound of the German name, which is pronounced Warner. W's in German, in the German language, in the Deutsch language, are pronounced like a V. So the correct pronunciation of Warner is really Varner, the Varner Brothers. But they anglicized it to be Warner Brothers. They had to do that because at at the time they were getting, you know, getting, you know, they didn't, people, Westerners didn't like Jewish folks. Now, before we go to our phone lines here, 619-768-2945, I'm going to play for you a piece. This is very interesting. About Superman. Now, once again, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, there hasn't been a, a million Yiddish man march or a million Jewish man march. <clears throat> they were Jewish people were lynched too in the United States, right along with black folk. Maybe not the, the numbers weren't, but they were lynched. At one time, they were not considered at the like say the color black, white, yellow, red. That's not identity politics. So, at the time frame I'm talking about, they weren't considered white. And this next tip I'm about to play is about Superman. So what a lot of, this is what I like about the intentional community of Hollywood, is they decided to fight back 
or empower themselves through media, entertainment. Next clip I'm about to play is about Superman. Written by two Jewish people. Well, one guy wrote it and the other guy did the cartoon part. And as you listen to this piece about the backstory or the creation of Superman and why Superman, the superhero, was created, because back when they wrote this, there were no Jewish superheroes. So they didn't wait for the white man, as defined by identity politics at that time. They didn't wait for the white man to come up with a, a validate somebody, a Jewish person, as a superhero. They didn't wait on the government to to select somebody to be the poster person to be a superhero for black, I mean, excuse me, Jewish people, they decided to be proactive and create their own superhero who we call Superman. And we can go down the line with Superman, Jewish creators, Batman, Jewish creators, the Fantastic Four, Jewish creators. But anyway, as you listen to this, think about the story of Moses. I'd like to begin with a question. Why the heck is a rabbi talking about Batman? I should be involved with spirituality and not spandex. To answer the question, I'll have to make a confession. Not that rabbis usually confess, but unlike many of my rabbinical contemporaries, I did not grow up religious, observant, orthodox, Hasidic, Chabad, for want of a better word, I grew up normal. <laughs> I'm from Manchester, England, and growing up in Manchester, religion was spiritual valium. It was something that others needed to get answers to existential questions in life that really had no answers. I was a superhero zealot, and a degree in film history led to a job scouting movie locations. Yet, to quote the old Yiddish proverb, man plans, God laughs. Seeking to fulfill needs not met by MTV and materialism, I became a rabbi. Like you do. Uh, today, I chair the Religious Affairs Committee at the renowned New York Art School Pratt Institute. When I first became the rabbi of Pratt, I tried all the traditional rabbinic shtick, Sabbath, kosher, holiday. I still try, and students would say to me, Rabbi Simcha, you're a great guy, you're funny, dynamic, erudite, extremely handsome. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but this, this is art school. Ironically, at Pratt, I found myself at the very same school that many comic book pioneers once attended. And I started to reread the classic superhero comics of my youth, this time through the lens of Jewish tradition and spirituality. I wrote my first book, Up, Up, and Oive. <laughs> uh, it was a direct collaboration over copious bowls of chicken soup at 3 o'clock in the morning with my students. The premise of the book being that every single major figure that has created the all-American superhero was Jewish. In fact, you can even say 
If a person's name ends in man, they're either Jewish, Lipman, Feldman, Goldman, or a superhero, Superman. (laughs) I'm not even going to finish that. Which begs the obvious question, why do Jews create superheroes? The answer is sad, succinct, and simple. The late 1930s were arguably the most anti-Semitic period in American history. Many Ivy League schools kept a quota on the number of Jews allowed, country clubs, and even some neighborhoods barred Jews altogether. Comic books were in their infancy. They were the lowest rung on the artistic food chain. There was no barriers to entry. Through the prism of Jewish storytelling and the immigrant experience, comic book creators infused their creations with a particularly Jewish worldview. Take Superman, the creation of two Jews, Jerry Siegel and Joseph Schuster from Cleveland, Ohio. In Superman number two from 1939, Superman is sent to an unnamed European location. He meets Adolphus Runyon, a thinly veiled metaphor for Hitler. He's put in an ancient pillared room. Superman knocks the pillars and shouts, a man named Samson once tried to do this. Here you see young immigrant Jews tapping into a storytelling tradition rich in biblical archetypes. After all, writers write about what they know about. Also, consider the Jewish immigrant experience. Many comic book creators came from unassimilated Yiddish-speaking homes. They had one identity at home, another identity at work. They create characters who themselves have one identity at home, another identity at work. Think about Batman's creator, Bob Kane was born Robert Kahn, Captain America's creator, Jack Kirby was born Jacob Kurtzberg, Stan Lee, the man behind everything, was born (laughs) Stanley Lieber. It's no wonder Pulitzer Prize-winning author Michael Scheibon once noted it's impossible not to see these things as allegorical of the Jewish immigrant experience. Also consider patriotism. Six months before Pearl Harbor thrusted America into World War II, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon had taken matters into their own hands with Captain America. The front cover of Captain America number one sees Captain America smashing Hitler across the face, knocking the Fuhrer to the ground. It's cute. It's funny. It's nostalgic. Could you imagine coming from immigrant Jews who were getting wretching letters home from their families in the old country? What a powerful portrayal of wish fulfillment this must have been. The end of World War II saw a brief decline in the popularity of superheroes. After all, peacetime proved bad for business. But by the swinging 60s, superheroes had evolved. They became complex, ambiguous, flawed and reluctant with their own angst and insecurities to deal with. In 1961, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby create a different type of superhero. They create a family of superheroes called the Fantastic Four. One particular character called The Thing, who has a rock-like substance over his body, was very Jewish from the beginning. In fact, in the comics, the thing's name is Benjamin Jacob Grimm. Can there be a more Jewish-sounding name than Benjamin Jacob? Jack Kirby was born Jacob, named after the famous patriarch who spends the night wrestling an angel. In the comics, the thing grows up on Yancey Street, a very thinly-veiled nod to the iconography of the tenements 
of Delancey Street in a 2002 edition. The thing goes back to Yancey Street, and his Semitic roots are revealed. He sees Mr. Schekerberg, who he thinks has died. The thing stands over him and says the Shema, the most famous of all Jewish prayers. He opens the F of the Fantastic Four belt buckle. He pulls out a Magin David, a Star of David necklace. Like so many of his American tribesmen, the thing hid his Jewish roots in order to avoid confrontation. Ironically, Manhattan's cosmic comic put a sign in the window after the issue was released asking, how do you circumcise an orange brick? <laughs> Google it. Another reoccurring theme we see is the Jewish immigrant experience. In 1962, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby collaborate on The Incredible Hulk. Hulk's a metaphor for many things. Cuban Missile Crisis, fear of genetic mutation, the atomic bomb. He's also based on the Golem, the famous monster hero from 16th century Prague, created to defend the Jewish community from pogrom. Interestingly, in the 70s, they write an issue called In the Shadow of the Golem, where the Hulk is mistaken to be the Golem. Another reoccurring theme we see is the Holocaust. Whilst earlier generations of comic book creators grappled with the Holocaust, later generations grapple with the aftermath. In 1963, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby collaborate on the most serious comic of them all. It's not a solitary superhero, not a dynamic duo, not a fantastic foursome, but an entire race of superheroes called the X-Men. And who better to base that race on than their own people, the Jewish people, we can see a tragic Holocaust connection in the character of Magneto, the anti-hero who in the comics has to help the Nazis kill his own family to stay alive. That makes him a tragic yet somehow understandable anti-hero. In the 80s, the X-Men introduce the Jewish character of Kitty Pride, who lights a Yortzite remembrance candle when her fellow mutant and sometimes boyfriend Colossus is killed. I'm not sure what Halacha says when your mutant alien boyfriend is killed. That's above my pay grade. Make a great Eli talk. Finally, in closing, I'd like to ask a very simple question. Is Superman Jewish? No one knows more about this than I do because no one is as meshuggah enough as to think about this as much as I have. We know his creators were Jewish. We know he's based on an, on an assimilated archetype. However, he's also based on Moses. For those of you that were awake during Sunday school, you may remember the story. Egypt faces internal implosion. Moses is put in a reed basket. He's sent away, grows up in a foreign culture, foreign land. The house of Pharaoh becomes the savior of humanity. Watch the story of Superman. Krypton faces internal implosion. Baby Kal-El, which is Hebrew for the voice or vessel of God, is put in a little rocket pod. He's sent away to a foreign culture. Foreign land grows up in a Midwestern cornfield with the Kent family and becomes the savior of humanity. The suffix El being one of the names of God used in the Bible. It's also the name of the prophets, Michael, Daniel, Emmanuel. Tragically, the story happened for real. In the late 30s, early 40s, a young 
Jewish children were being shepherded on to Kindertransport, sent away to live in safety as the old country imploded with families in England. So, the question, is Superman, or for that matter, any superhero Jewish? The answer is a loud, clear, resounding, emphatic no. <laughs> Jews are not superheroes, and superheroes are not Jewish. However, superhero values are Jewish values. So next time you're chewing on the popcorn, watching Star Spangled, Star Spangled Salvation in 3D, of course, remember the following. Every single one of us hides behind an assimilated archetype, a mild-mannered Clark Kent. But go out into the world without any masks. Be superheroes in spandex or not. Thank you. The story is told. Hello, welcome to Comic Tropes. I'm your host, Chris. There is a question I have asked myself many times as a comic book reader, and that is, why aren't there more Jewish superheroes? Because when you look at the history of comic books, from the 30s through the 60s, every key character in superhero comics was created by a Jewish creator. Everything in the Silver Age and Golden Age is by Jewish talent. And yet, none of those superheroes are Jewish. So why is that? Well, today we're going to try to get some answers there. And I won't have a lot in the way of a definitive answer because I can't find any interviews where the creators themselves were asked this question point blank. But we can look at the history of comics, the history of America, a few anecdotal pieces of uh, interviews by some of this talent, and we can try to fashion our best guess. Uh, now, before we go any further, I think we should level set by establishing who are some of these key characters I'm talking about and the, the sort of big moments in comic book history that were created by Jewish talent. So we're going to get into that, and unless I specifically mention otherwise, you should assume that every writer, artist, editor, and publisher that I'm going to mention was Jewish. We should begin by noting that the first comic books came out in the 1930s and they were published by a guy named Max Gaines. He began reprinting comic strips from newspapers in what we now recognize as the comic book format. Max established Entertainment Comics, or EC Comics, and his son, Bill, later inherited it and changed it to Entertaining Comics. That became popular throughout the 40s and the 50s with books like Tales from the Crypt. When the Comics Code and government pressure made horror unpopular, he changed his popular comedy comic, Mad, to a magazine to avoid regulation. Mad is still published today and has long been a publication built by urban Jewish cartoonists. Max's early funny comics reprints were massively popular, and many rival publishers sprouted up, many of them also Jewish, 
because other creative fields in the 1930s were not readily available to Jewish people at the time due to a general anti-Semitism in the professional workplace. But by the mid-30s, a lot of the comic strips had already been reprinted and publishers were looking for new ideas, like war stories and science fiction. The first superhero comic, Superman, was published in 1938 and was created by writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Shuster. This ushered in the popularity of superheroes as the dominant genre in comics. It was quickly followed by Batman, by writer Bob Kane and artist Bill Finger. In 1940, The Spirit was created by Will Eisner. Another important character created at this time was Captain America in 1941 by writer Joe Simon and artist Jack Kirby. We'll come back to discuss these characters and their creators in greater detail, but there are some more key milestones set by Jewish creators that we should look at. In 1956, DC introduced a new version of The Flash, Barry Allen, which represents the start of the Silver Age of comics. He was created by writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino, who was not Jewish. But editor Julius Julie Schwartz was, and he had a hand in the creation. A massive amount of Flash's stories for the next decade were written by John Broom, also Jewish. In 1961, the team of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee began the Marvel Age of Comics with the creation of the Fantastic Four. The two Jewish creators went on to co-create Thor, the X-Men, the Hulk, Nick Fury, Black Panther, the Inhumans, Iron Man, and many more. In 1976, Chris Claremont began writing X-Men. In addition, okay, we're not. We'll play the rest of that clip on another day. But today's topic, we're going to fall on since we had quite a few calls. Hollywood, an intentional Jewish filmmaking community, and in this last couple I played, you heard him mention Marvel Comics. Jewish controlled, and I, I was thinking about you know when they you know Cage and Luke Cage. And I, I was thinking about Monique. Once again, black folks, in my opinion, need to stop trying to get on other people's platform and create your own platform. Hollywood is an intentional community. And just before I go to the phone lines, just is one last thing that popped my mind, Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street was a black neighborhood. It was the Greenwood neighborhood. Remember what I said yesterday? A neighborhood is defined, at least in It's My House terms, as a place where you eat, sleep, and live. I didn't mention anything about control. Black Wall Street, a.k.a. the, black, uh, the, the Greenwood neighborhood, on 40 acres was with was a neighborhood within the greater community of Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was essentially KKK heavily influenced. I'll put it that way. They ran the government. They ran zoning and planning. They 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 were in charge of the law. They were the law. There's no well, I can't say no way, but 
that was a neighborhood within a hostile community because at the exact same time in the same state of Oklahoma, there were 50 other, well, there were 50 black municipalities, to say nothing of other communities throughout the state that had their own community, meaning they ran their own governments. That's what a municipality is. And they ran their own commerce. Some of those towns in Oklahoma and other places throughout the United States have not been, have not experienced any racial inharmony to this day, over 100 years later. The distinction, they set up a neighborhood within a hostile city. Had O.W. Gurley taken, instead of buying 40 acres inside the community of Tulsa, Oklahoma, had he done like these other black folks did, which were former slaves, buy your 40 acres outside of this particular area and you'll be all right. He wouldn't have no Black Wall Street story today. In any event, let's, uh, that's another day, another podcast, Hollywood and Intentional Jewish Filmmaking Community. The thing I wanted to illustrate here today was community. A real community has some basic intent behind it, some type of glue. In this case, with the origins of Hollywood, these Jewish filmmakers and people connected to that, because we're talking about six people, six immigrants. And I'm putting one of the reasons why I'm putting that out there because some of the people that are coming up on this caravan, some of them are going to get in the country. Some of them are already in the country. And then while we're focusing on what's coming up from Guatemala, they're flying in from all points anyway, other immigrants from other countries. One of the reasons why I'm putting out this podcast today is I don't want to hear no shit from black folks trying to get out mad at somebody else trying to get a job because they won't let us in. African-Americans, black folks, whatever you call yourself, hoteps, stop looking at other people's shit and start your own intentional community. Every, You know, everything starts with one, including human life. Start with yourself. Start your own shit. I'm off my soapbox. 407, your mic is open. Uh, thank you, L.A. This is Viata, um, Soul Purpose Healing and Female Solution Health and Wellness. And I'm in Chicago. It's snowing, so uh, I have a new perspective on Chicago. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Khazars or the Khazarian Empire. No, I'm not. Okay, spell K H A. I can't define it or hold the conversation on it. Okay, Khazar, spell K H A Z A R I A N. There is a lot of evidence, historical evidence, DNA evidence, that that's where many of the so called Jewish people, pale skinned people of today, came, started from ancestrally. 
that empire. It's been interesting. This book that you ordered is you said it's their own empire. Yeah, it's about Hollywood. Okay, the they, origins of Hollywood. Though. Yeah. So the name of it is their own empire. You said. Yeah, uh, empire of their own. Empire of their own. That's a perfect title because this may be the first only empire they've ever had. They are the Khazarian, just a brief history. And there's so much on YouTube, especially about this Khazarian uh, king or uh, empire. They were a ruthless, violent uh, empire uh, in the in, in the European area that took over, that invaded countries and and to killed and and took over countries and were thrown out of other of countries. And they finally made their way to Israel Palestine area. And they took over, destroyed, and took over the so-called Hebrew people, African Ethiopian people's heritage and um, um, their their religion. So those people over there, pale-skinned people, as you may have heard, are not the real Jews. It's funny that they're still carrying that name. But and and I had a friend who's very prophetically uh, gifted say that Trump is going to bring that out in his um, presidency that the blacks, the Africans, the Ethiopians are the real Jews. So we'll, we'll see if that comes to pass. So this, this own empire, maybe this is the first empire they, this Khazarian ancestral people have ever had because they have a history of killing and maiming and ruthlessly taking over all the practices you see with the Jewish religion. They stole it from Ethiopians and from other Africans. And if anybody knows, Ethiopia is right near the Middle East. That was probably part of Africa. And there's a his, there's a, tra- a tracking of Ethiopians who migrated from the Middle East all the way to South Africa, and they have tested their DNA and proven that they are the original Hebrew, uh, Israeli, what you would call Jews today. So Hollywood, uh, in my opinion, is so destructive in so many ways, but they make a lot of money. Jewish people are filthy rich, but they got a lot of problems. So I just say that to say um, we should not even really admire them as much as we should just be cautious because they have a, a, a very violent history and they have a, still have a violent, current violent history. They're doing a lot of stupid, wicked things even today. But we admire them for their ability to create another empire because that's where they what they do. They steal from other people and corrupt and take over, and then they create this now empire. And the influence of the Jews, we can't even talk about anti-Semitism because you'll get killed if you do. And the Israel especially is the most corrupt and wicked government there probably is on the planet. And then to say that Palestine is not a legitimate uh, location or people, that's so ignorant, and that's what I heard um, DeSantis say. That's what uh, persuaded me not to even vote for anybody, because DeSantis is so naive. He's promoting Israel and saying the Palestinians don't have a homeland. But that's so ignorant and, and naive, because if you really look into the history and see the map of that area, it was called Palestine, not not Israel. It was first called Palestine. And then the Khazarian Empire came in, took over ruthlessly, and they continue to this day through Netanyahu to kill, maim, destroy for their power-hungry 
uh, egotistical um, minds that they have. So thank you for bringing well, this out, and I have to bring in that history. Because you brought up five or six podcasts that we're not covering today. So bringing it back into uh, an intentional community, any comments on intentional community? Well, I think the lesson that uh, especially African Americans can learn that you we have a very special anointing, if you will, on our DNA, on our melanin to do whatever the hell we want to do. But we got to stop being influenced by the Jews in Hollywood because that's what's ruining a lot of people. Is there's too much Hollywood influence in the minds of people, and and we have the power to establish whatever we want to establish if we unify and come together and leave Hollywood out of the picture. That's where I would say that is. Well, now, when it comes to unified, define unified, if if you can put it in terms of numbers. Well, in terms of numbers, it's like whoever is conscious enough to realize there's a need in our community and our blog talk, uh, for instance, blog talk family, uh, the numbers are going to show up once we have the the intention, you you mentioned intention quite a bit, uh, to develop an independent community where we are not influenced by Hollywood and all these other Europeans and develop a healthier community spiritually, mentally, spiritually, and physically. So the numbers will show up, I think, when we just have that intention. The, the Jews have the intention to kill, maim, and destroy, and they've been successful. They had the intention to okay. deceive well, people Hollywood, with their movies. Hollywood, as in relationship to today's podcast and the book of Empire Down, started with uh, six Eastern European Jewish people. And uh, that's not a whole lot of people. Strong intention. What's, what's that? That's why I say intention well, is everything. Well, you now, have now six people. The six people now, they, these six people, their intention basically was to, they couldn't get jobs in filmmaking from anybody else, so they started their own thing. Yeah. Successful. Successful yeah. now because they, they had an intention to start their own damn thing and it worked. Unity, right. unity. It, and then it, they got all these other Khazarian people to get together with them. Well, it's well, successful. Money, now, money yeah. everywhere. That that's another podcast. <laughs> that's another whole podcast uh, on that. But um, all right, thank you. Hold, I'm gonna keep your mic open. Let's go to um, our next caller here. Three four six area code. Your mic is open. Hey, good morning, LA. And good morning, Seattle. Uh, How are you all this morning? You know, I just want to say, look at that word community, and you just thank you. Somebody, yeah, just mentioned it. Inside the word community, you're going to find the word unity. And yeah. uh, if I if I had to describe the word community, I would actually say it means commercial unity. The C O M M unity, I believe it means commercial unity. And so that's something we have, definitely have to come together on commerce and unify on commerce and get a direction. And it has to be as also like Pleasant Stephen said, those that have a vested interest in uh, moving in a certain direction and moving that way to make things uh, possible. I, I got a, I, 
Warren, I got an aha moment a la like Oprah. You are absolutely <laughs> right. I'm going to go with that from now on. Commercial unity. Continue on. Yes. Well, that was basically it. That's what I, I believe the word community comes from, commercial unity. And a lot of words are basically that we have are two words that are basically put together, You know, like the word knowledge. That means to know the ledger. So you can't have knowledge without being in the know of the ledger uh, as like an accounting ledger of both both uh, assets and liability. So community, in order to have a community, it must be commercial unity. And that's what thrives and that's what that's what moves forward. Hollywood is a community. And that's why the unity. is working so hard to divide and not have promote unity. I think the, the elite who own these media stations, they know that, what, what he just said, and they're working hard not so we don't have unity. Well, but now we ought to wear the unity. And we got three bloggers sitting right on this phone right now. We're the, we're, we're, the, we're media now. Yeah. So we just we just gotta put put you know put put our messages out there, like more more. That's a slam dunk, man. Commercial unity. That that's really the bottom line on on that word. And I, I think it's happening because a lot of a lot of blacks are leaving the Democratic Party in big numbers now. Hashtag walk away. So it's happening slowly. We just gotta keep up what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. Keep it. Uh, let's go to seven seventy three. Your mic is open. Well, oh, good morning, everybody. I'm back. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It, it's just good to hear. It's just good to hear this conversation. I've been working on this political arena for the last month, and now my big feet is back on the wall again. I, I am so enthused about the educational parts that this. This uh, radio show brings to light. You know, we've been taught so much garbage over the years that a lot of us are just confused. And I heard uh, L.A. say this this morning about get your own platform. We got a young lady, 32, that I worked on her campaign. We got a young lady that won the uh, position that she's holding today. She's 32 years old. You may have heard heard of her on the news, Underwood, very intelligent young lady. And as you stated earlier, we've got to have our own platform. We've got to have our own vested interests. We've got to have, you know, we in America haven't created anything but chaos. And it's been, as the young lady said, they are fought. They have been fighting hard to keep us divided, to conquer us. Division is conquered. If you have your own, as the young man just said about uh, uh, the word that now is going to change it. I'm glad he brought that to the forefront. Commercial, commercial, commercial unity. The commercial unity. That's what we need. Collectively, for commercial unity, along with a vested interest, 
and you can have a community that you own and control. But unless you have that vested interest, I don't care what state you're in, you're not going to have what you can control. You'll always be under somebody else's limb. So I don't have that much to say. I wanted to listen in this morning because I've been working my yang-yang off. But I'm back, and uh, we're going to be open. Tomorrow, we're going to be opening a blog talk radio show. Hopefully, that's what they tell me. We're going to be opening uh, our own blog talk radio show, and we'll be giving you the numbers to call in because what I, I, I've been advocating to do is collectively commercial unity. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to tell them about this one. Commercial unity. Well, you caught you coined something this morning, one that that's worthy of. Yes, you got to put that yes, up there. Malcolm, Rock, Muhammad, MLK. You don't. Yeah. I, I, I can give you a knock above all them. So we got to speak unity and sing about unity all these years, but nobody broke it down. No, that, they didn't. That, you, you hit it on that. Commercial we unity. We don't have to. We don't have to steal that. That we don't. Have. <laughs> we <laughs> that's hey, a good one. Steal you. Steal you. That, Use that's it. a good one. And you know, to be in on the front end of hearing this, I can I can say, hey, we got commercial unity now because we do go back to Black Wall Street. How that was created? That was created a commercial unity. Look at the. Look at uh, what. L.A. is talking about today is commercial unity. When they create these communities, it's commercial unity. And I worked in the commercial commercial stream for 35 years all over the country and never saw anything done. You know, and I'll keep hopping on this. Dr. King was uh, asking for jobs and asking for, he, he was asking for the job, and he was also asking for equal justice. Now, you can't have any justice unless you are only control something. How can, how can you have any justice? Yeah. You can't, I don't care what you do, you cannot have justice. Unless you what, own it, well, you, know what, you make just sitting in at the lunch counters, I want to bring some. I want to have a whole podcast on the sitting in at the lunch counters, particularly in light of uh, Warren's definition here of uh, commercial unity. Because no disrespect to Martin Luther King, but basically the way I'm looking at it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The, that was breaking up the, the commercial unity that we had. Yeah. Well, I, I think yeah. the problem, Millie, and, and, and I respect of, both Martin. Instead of sitting at somebody's lunch counter trying to get right, service right. and they don't want a service, why couldn't I just go across the street and see that Pleasant Steps lunch counter? But no mm-hmm. answer. That's right. Boy, yeah. you were about to say something. You well, know, I was about to say, you know, I. I respect both Malcolm and Martin, and I take a lot from their work. But it wasn't civil rights that we needed. It was finances and economics. And if we would have focused on that, 
One thing I can guarantee, and that's why I've always been a great Booker T. Washington fan, because I keep telling people, I say, Booker T. laid the foundation. We just get strayed away from it. If we would have stayed in our own communities and built our own communities, once the wealth, uh, we became very, very wealthy people, the outside world, if you want to call it, which would be the Europeans or the white folks here in the United States, would have had no choice but to want to work with us because there would have been certain skills that would have still been needed. So that's how those barrier lines could have been crossed a lot easier than going to their side of town and begging to eat at their lunch counters and begging to work at their factories and their jobs. We could have learned these trades and skills and brought it back to our own community, commercial unity, and and then and, and raised it up. You know, and I mean, it's you know, now, our ancestors built this. I mean, we built the infrastructure, buildings. I mean, you name yeah. it, all up to the White House. But with the skill that our ancestors have, to once again, because if you're sitting down at somebody else's lunch counter begging them to serve you, they're probably going to spit in your drink or spit in your sandwich. And mm-hmm. I, I, that's going to do a podcast one day and bring some people that actually stab those counters. And maybe it's the mindset I'm missing here. But, I mean, commercial unity, but that's where, yeah. we, that's where we need to go. Yeah, that's what that we need is. To go. Uh, let's go to area code four ten. Your mic is open. Good morning, brother LA. How you doing? Fine, fine. Look, I want to just give a shout out to Sister Viata because uh, you know she gets it. She just gave props out to Donald Trump, who's our savior. And the thing is. He's the one that's going to lead us black folks back to power again. So I just want to let her know that amongst us all, she gets it and the rest of us has got to get it if we want to make sure that we get back to our restored greatness again. So shout out to her for recognizing that Donald Trump is our savior. And uh, look, uh, when it comes to community, we black folks think all you have to do is just say you're a community and that's it, but that's not true. When the Jews established Hollywood, it was those five it was those five companies that started it, but the Jews had something that we don't have and that's an identity. And the thing is they know that by them establishing an identity that uh they are safe because look, everywhere they've been they've been prosecuted. But we black folks don't realize that everywhere we've been, we've been prosecuted, but we fail to get together to protect ourselves. So they have something in common. And look, those five uh, companies, yeah, they had the name, but they had a bunch of Jewish investors that invested in that company. Like your brother said, they had a commercial interest. And that's something we have established. You know, because the Bible says... Where the heart is, uh, the heart is where the treasure is. And the thing is, because we don't create anything of value, we don't have anything that we're willing to strive for or organize for because we don't see no value in organizing. And i like to correct you on something. You said that you didn't know of a black community that exists. Well, you know, the oh, no, Elijah no, 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 Muhammad created. No, the, the small township, those are black communities. But here's but here's the other thing too, brother LA. Before the Jews got Israel, 
they had a series of communities and one worldwide community because what happened is they established themselves around an ethnic a religion. So you don't have to have a physical place to be a community. As long as you are organized as far as mind goes and you write up a paper or you come up with a contract with an agreement, that creates a community. So you don't have to have a physical location, but you do have to have a like mind, and you do have to have a contract where you set an agreement where everybody knows the rules and regulations that bind you together. And with that being said, with that being said, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad built a community and a national community because the black Muslims, they have their own way of eating. They have their own stuff, and they create a commercial interest amongst their members. And the thing is, they have a paramilitary force called the Fruits of Islam. And not only that, they have their own schools, and they have their own ideology. So with that being being the case, and I know a lot of people don't want to identify with them because we hate ourselves as black folk, but the thing is, he has the model. Now, we don't need to address it as a religion because he didn't address it as a religion. He addressed it as a nation within a nation. So with that being said, we've already seen that black folks can establish communities. The only thing is now we have all of this other foolishness like conservatism, liberalism, and all this other ism, capitalism, socialism, communism that divides us. And what happens is we never get together to create a common interest like brother, uh, like the elder, uh, the Honorable Pleasant Stephen says. So I'll get off and see if I can get some pushback on that. Very good example with the nation of Islam. That is, that's a very good example of a successful uh, black uh, intentional community. And um, LA is very good. And, and, and when he says that, you know, Muslim is a religion, um, black folk cannot be organizing around religion anymore. There's a thousand churches in this country that are doing nothing about the homeless situation and all the other society problems we have. So that's one of the areas I think I just want to throw well, that out. We have to move, move, away, move away from all right, religion. I get, I get what you're saying about the churches. But we now, matter of fact, if not all, but most churches are intentional communities. They might not live together, but they come together for Bible study or, or worship service once or twice a week or whatever. So the intent of that particular community called the, you know, AME, uh, Ebenezer, AME Church, whatever, they they might have because – one intention isn't a coverall for everything. Just like when it comes to homelessness, some people have a homeless ministry where all they do is address feeding people. That That's all they do. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't address the shelter part, but they, you do have a lot of people that are hungry, so they address that. That's, that's, part, that's their intent. Other people have it where, like the Salvation Army, they have some – Dormitories where they address, you know, well, we'll we'll get people out if they abide by our rules. We'll let them stay in here so many days, uh, and they address the shelter part, but they don't address employment. 
other people undress, the, you know, the employment part, other people undress. So the, the faith-based organization or any organization, we really shouldn't beat up in my opinion. shouldn't be because when it comes to intentional, intentional comes down to really a narrow agenda, very narrow agenda. And it, they're not out to save everybody. Just like with Hollywood, those six guys that started Hollywood, they were basically we're looking for we're looking to bring on people that are Jewish, that are, that need need something on to come up. And as Warren beautifully stated, a commercial unity, and they brought in investors and this, that, and other. In the black community, we do have blacks that support churches. We do have blacks that support if you want to open up a barbershop or a, or a beauty salon. We just need more of it. Starting commercial ventures. Anyway, I like I like to make, I like to respond. Yes, sure. You know, uh, on the brother's comment, the Nation of Islam. Uh, did give us a foundation and they have a level of success. Where are all of our black hotels and our black hospitals? Uh, because with the success that they have given us, surely every black American in the United States shouldn't be in any type of poverty by now. So the level of success, and from where I'm standing, has been stunted. And the reason why it's been stunted because it comes in as a anti-American group. So therefore it causes problems. I look at all these other groups and what I do understand about them. I've been here to the Asian uh, Chamber of Commerce, all these other groups, they come in and yes, they have a unity to themselves, but they also work with the government. They don't work against the government and jump on the government. They work with the government. Uh, for a lot of people, what I've seen basically of what I'm looking at and my observation is that when it comes to the Democratic Party, which deals with nothing but poverty and entitlement programs, the biggest bulk of people that keep them alive are black folks and Hispanics, and mainly because those are on the poverty side. So the only people that are benefiting from that are people of the party or people that have an agenda that are pushing those things to try to destroy the capitalist society that we have. On the other hand, all these other groups that come in here, the majority of these folks, are Republicans because of not so much as your white man is better than my white man, but because of the policies of capitalism, but the policies of being able to come in and set up their own uh, 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 businesses and to be to have less government interfering with them. And anybody that's successful, they must first start with their own people. But after they start with their own people, they're going to go out into the world and mix and mingle with other people and, and do business with them. That's how success is done. That's my comment. And that's a and how back on that. That's a that's the that the bottom line is don't look for black Christians to be progressive in this movement we're in because they on the democratic plantation. Or the blacks that they are supposed to be leaving out. Uh some of them are at least. All right, let's go to our next caller, area code three fourteen, Mike is over. You know, uh Y'all getting close, but you're not quite there. (laughs) (laughs) And and Warren, it's very difficult to explain. 
and they had a Ethiopians are not Jews. They are Ethiopians. Exactly. They're they're Israelites. They're Hebrew Hang on for people. A second. They're Hebrew. Hang on for a second. Yeah. One of these days I'll take some time out and explain that to you. How that stuff goes. Because who you see if you referring to in the Bible Yahweh, Yahweh was created by Yahweh. That was way before it was a Judaism. And the Yahweh was breakaway Cushites who, like in every ethnic group, you got some people we're talking about that want to do something on their own. All Cushites didn't go along with that because they were following Amen, who they had been following for 10,000 years and never had no failures with it. And that was around, look at the battle between the Assyrians and the Cushites when the Assyrians was marching down on Jerusalem trying to take it over. Cushites came 1,200 miles to do what? To assist their kissing their kiss and kin. And you can read that in Second Kings 19 and 35. When you read it, come back. But this thing about black folks being all the same, that's where the other problem lies in. Now, if you go back and look, the Africans that was brought here did not all come from the same ethnicity, the same uh, group. They were fighting against each other. So when you start taking people that lost, and by other means, from a whole array of groups, then you bring them to a land, and all of a sudden they're supposed to all, the way, all be the same. That just don't work like that. You got Jews, the religion, and you got Jews, the club. And what you were talking about in your play earlier, L.A., was Jews, the club. Then they got Jews, the religion. Well, the Jews, the club, is the one that's behind the radio, the television, behind other industries in this country. That's the club. You remember that book, Tribes? What's the uh, subtitle of Tribes? It's how race, ethnicity, and religion determine success. Now, whoever the hell wrote this Bible, they, they got something here because the settlers, when they read this, it said, but I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord, your God, who has separated you from the people. Well, that's what y'all are talking about doing now. I mean, that's the only way it's going to work. You can't have all the people in line doing the same thing. Somebody's got to control. Somebody's got to lead. And when every group read that, guess what? They're talking about us. And that's why I come to them what they've done. They've got you have what you have. There's nothing in America going to exist autonomously from the rest of America. I'm sorry. It ain't going to happen. You can't do it. Every right. time you turn right. around, every time you turn around, you're looking at it in the face. Now, what you can have, you can have some autonomous groups of people like my uh, my brother uh, Beasley, I think his name is. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, sir. He's talking with a group of other black 
men and women. And another thing, too, Bees, is you want to have some young people sitting there at your meetings because what you're creating today, they're going to have to live with in the future when you're long and gone. So, I mean, that's as best as I can explain. If you're going to do something, if it's going to be uh, one of those uh, settlements in Oklahoma, then it's going to be a group of people that starts that off, and they're going to be based on an agenda and a plan. All, quote, unquote, blacks in the United States are never going to get on the same plane. It's not going to happen. They didn't come from the same plane. It's still in their DNA. People have been trying to get that to work forever, and it's not going to work. It just won't fit. And also, it don't work with whites neither. Well, Well, the Soviet Union is a good example of that. The former Soviet Union is an example, just one example. There's several other examples, too. And you know Warren is right. Whoever said that the the immigrants that's coming here, they're going to end up being Republicans because they're coming here to, to do something of some, make something of what opportunities they see. And, you know, me, myself, I'm against them coming here because they're going to push blacks further back. But then I'm starting to think different. It, it, you know, like in your school system, in a black school, all black kids are not teachable. I'm sorry to say that. They are not teachable, especially with what you're trying to teach them. That's why I come out for school choice. Why in the hell you got all these kids up in this same spot trying to teach them the same thing? All of them are not teachable along those lines. You have to divide them out. You have to take those that's red, those that's green, those that's orange, and make and, and, and provide for them what you want them to do. Because right then and there, based on their they self-identity, they got something in common, hopefully, their learning style is the same. But all black kids are not teachable. All black people are not teachable. If you listen to some of this mess that's going on, those that can really decipher it, all you can do is shake your head. Now, I'd like to comment. Go ahead, Bianca. Um, thank you, Bianca. Um, I realize that there are Ethiopian communities today who can trace their ancestry back to Palestine, and they call themselves Hebrew Israelites. The word Jew is a misinformed, uh, mistranslated word from the Hebrew Israelite and the biblical Hebrew words of Yahuda, the tribe of Yahuda. I've done enough history on the tribe of the tribes and Hebrewism and all that to know a little bit about. It. I don't know everything, but. Um, the word and the word Yahweh is mistranslated too. Yod Heh is the tetragrammaton, but those letters are what indicate the the power behind the name but, being not a but, singular, not a singular individual God, but it represents I understand that, yeah, the but universe. Yeah, but before you go on any further, you didn't hear what I said. You said all Ethiopians that, are not Jews. All of that comes out of what you call ancient Egypt had put in place. It was the Kushites. The Kushites is in upper, in the upper regions of that land, what they call upper Egypt. Kushites had been there for zillions of years. It was their Godhead, Amen, 
who, by the way, was against mixing. All these religions are against mixing, especially this, this Christianity. They say, you shall not give your daughters to their sons. You shall not give your sons to their daughters. Amen said that, and guess what? It was no whites there to mix with at that time. So who was he talking about? He was talking about what we would call today other blacks. Think about it. For over mm-hmm. 10,000 years, that is the way it was until people start wanting to do something on their own. And in the 6th century, around 701 B.C., when those Cushites broke away and went to what you call Jerusalem and tried to set up their own stuff, then you had the Persians, as today Iran, under the leadership of Senator. They were marching and tearing up every damn thing. Their God was Ashur, A-S-U-R. The Cushites' God was Amen, A-M-E-N, or something of that nature. So, if the, if, the, if the Assyrians hadn't been successful in doing what they'd done, you wouldn't have no Judaism today, you wouldn't have no Christianity today, and you wouldn't have no Islam today. Think about it. What year did the land crack open? What year did the, uh, what year did the land mass crack open? What do you mean the land mass crack open? You know, Pangea? Yeah, the Earth. You talking about going all the way back to Pangea when all the continents were together? Was one land mass? Yeah, one land mass. I don't know. That's because I probably wasn't even know human beings on Earth at that time. I don't even know if I even buy Pangea because, you know, the thing is, how does the uh, land break up and the pyramids and all that, they just break up and fall right in line with the stars? That's a question I've always asked. I don't even know if I buy that Pangea thing. No, they built those pyramids. I've, I've been there and seen that. But the thing is, mm-hmm. the people were pretty smart back in those days. I mean, if they could mm-hmm. create a calendar, a 25,000-year calendar that was accurate, they would have had at least studied it two times. So you're talking about going back over 50,000 years on that great uh, – on uh, the great year, as they call it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and this thing about he that's a language. That's all it is, just a language. People identify themselves as by a language. You got Nigerians that identify themselves as Yoruba because they speak what's quote-unquote called a Yoruba language. Then you got, well, some I... people that speak, you got some people that speak a language. They don't identify themselves by that language. What happens when well... you speak three or four or five languages? Yeah, Aramaic, the Hebrew Aramaic language is more than just a language. The the letters themselves represent energy and meaning, and then that's why the Bible cannot be taken literally, because when the, the original Aramaic word letters in the Bible have metaphoric, symbolic, not literal. We've taken the Bible literally when actually it should be all metaphors and symbolism. So right. it's not just a language. It has meaning. Those letters, when you know the Hebrew and the Aramaic language, you can that you can translate the Bible on a spiritual level and a metaphor level instead of taking all of it literally. Well, even if it had meaning, it was meaning by way of the people that either bought into it or created it to be. But the thing is, is that for PA for PA people to create something, they usually make it off of something. 
You know, every man has always wondered, who am I, where am I, and where did I come from? If you, if the people on this line here today was to start building automobiles, we wouldn't go back to the Model A Ford. We would build off of what you have today and make it better or make it to your liking. So that's the way it was with these religions. Every, every ethnic group had their own God because man created God. Religion is nothing more than a deification of a people's culture, how they, how they name their kids when they're born, how they marry, what they eat, how they do this, how they go to battle. It's just a deification of a group of people's culture. That's all it right. is. Right. Well, let, let you me know, know what. Let uh, me uh, go ahead, Warren. Hey, uh, you know, uh, Pianchi. You know, I almost hate that you're right, but I have to admit that he's right about a lot of things. <laughs> you talking to somebody, whether anybody this line, you talking to somebody that was very, very, that's very, very pro-black and used to be very, very militant. Uh, I'm, I'm in Tassetti under the order of the Grand Hunefa. 360-degree high priest of the West, Dr. Joseph Benyakinon. So I, I've been in this stuff. I know it. I understand it. Uh, but so one day the light came on, and I had to wake up and realize that this stuff that I'm doing is silly. It's stupid. How am I going to be right here in America? Don't have the knowledge. Don't have the firepower. Don't have the manpower to destroy it. So I'm working against myself, trying to destroy and come against it. And when you understand again, and maybe this is what makes America like it is. America is every nation is people just got to break it down. Every nation that you can identify identifies through culture, through ethnicity, through all these different uh, religions, you can identify. Uh, uh, America is the only nation on earth you can't identify with that. So what makes us all Americans? Uh, what makes us all Americans is the idea of capitalism. So that's why I guess you have to look around and realize you see a lot of people that don't look like you because what makes people come together is the mindset of the idea. And that is the idea that you can come from nothing and build what you want. You know, Until we get that mindset, you still you know, All right, hold on. Let, let, hold on. Let, let, let me open up the line for Beasley. Beasley, Beasley hey. here's the question I want to throw out to you because we've been talking about a lot about identity politics. When you're talking about identity, okay, because historically, when we came, well, some of us were already here, so that's a whole bunch of languages and identities there. Some of us, our ancestors, came over on the ship. There's got to be at least two thousand distinct Native African languages. Name what's one thing that, in air quotes, we can identify with. Brother L.A., you know what? You started off with communities, right? Did you hear this yeah, conversation just that just went on? Now, this is why black folk is in the shape they're in because of a bunch of bullshit, okay? You started out about trying to identify what is an intent community. And then we got into and, and politics. There's politics what? of intentional community. Right, but look, here's the thing. You started off with what was an intent community and why we were in a community. And what you just heard is the reason why we're in the shape we're in, because we're a ball of confusion. Now, let me get into this. There is no political party. 
there's no religion and there's no ideology that supersedes race and identity or a national identity. And the thing is, is this, yeah, I know that not all black folks think alike, but there's one thing, and look, whether this attorney agree with me or not, when you sit down and you want to form an organization, you sit down and you bind everybody with a contract or covenant for those that want to go. And those that don't want to go, you leave their ass behind. Now, the thing is, is this. I look at it this way. The reason why the Jews are the way they are and the reason why they are in control all over the world is because a bunch of them sit down, and you can look it up, Theodore Herzl, ever what the hell his name was, sit down and he can he's organized a Jewish movement. And what happened is all of them live by that code. They got an ethnic code. They got an ethical. I guess I'm saying it right. A, a code of conduct, and they got an ethical code. Now, when these people first formed the United States, all of them didn't think alike either. What they did, they came up with a constitution. Now, yeah, individuals have different thoughts, but all of them are bound by that Constitution, whether it's federal or whether it's state. And the thing is, when they sit down, they probably squabble, squabble like we did. But here's the thing. You can't use one political party that's going to advance our cause. You, and, and here's the other thing. You can't, you can't name one religion that advance our cause. But the one thing we can agree on, is that we're being kicked in the ass by everybody because we sit here and we divide ourselves about all of this stuff about what religion is this and what religion ain't that. And I gave you an example. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad sit down and said, hey, here's what we're going to do to be a nation within a nation. It's not a religion because he used the Bible and the Quran. When Marcus Garvey sat down and created the UNIA, he didn't have religion in mind. He wanted to create a group of people that could think alike and had a common goal. And when you look at Booker T. Washington, Booker T. Washington established an ideology that says, hey, we're going to pursue a commercial interest here and everybody put down their buckets where they are so that we can advance as a people. Now, what we do is we get separated by religion. We get separated by politics. And the thing is, all of that stuff doesn't come into play because, look, last time I checked, uh, when I st get stopped by a policeman, he don't ask me what my religion is. When I get stopped by a policeman, he don't ask me what my political views are. He look at me as a black person. Now, those people that don't want to go along with establishing an identity and basing it on self-preservation, and and the other one is survival of the fittest, then you leave them behind. But what you just heard a few minutes ago in this conversation, come we're in the shape we in. Who gives a damn about you know what? what? Let, let me make a let me let me say this. Let me say this. At the object, at the detriment at the detriment that you're getting your ass kicked, why do we follow people that's getting their ass kicked? Exactly. That's my point, brother Piaki. Because the thing is is this. We have we have we have marred ourselves in a bunch of shit that, that really don't make no difference. And look, here's the other thing: everybody that has tried to organize us, the first people of resistance 
the first resistance is our own people. So the thing is, you can't take everybody with you. But my and thing you is, know this, that is you know why that is? Because yeah, they I don't want to be, well, hang on, hang on, because they don't want to be left alone. Could you well, imagine look, coming outside? Could you imagine waking up? What's the day, Friday? Yeah, day Friday. Could you imagine waking up Monday, Warren, and ain't no white people in the country? Yes, I can imagine. Falling out on that slow crime. Oh, Lord. Could you imagine that? That would be a disaster. Well, see, that's the problem right there. Now, here's the thing. Now, you got an attorney there that's that's well-versed in the law. And he says he can't live without white folks. And the thing is, that ain't, that ain't, that's, that's our problem right there. That's our problem. <laughs> well, no, he's not saying that about himself. He's saying about the people general population. Yes. You know what? To be truthful with you, I could put up a building without white folks. Thank you. Thank you. I can't put up a bill. I couldn't put a bridge up without white you folks having something to do it. There's some people out here that if there were no more government, if there was no more Section 8 on Monday, or BB, some people couldn't handle it. I think that would be a better example. <laughs> well, there's a whole lot of white folks in that predicament. I guess and I gave you the statistics the other day. Right. There's probably more white so people that freak you, out than anybody else can't blame that on black folks, but all I'm saying is this. We have this mentality, and you just heard it, that we can't live without white folks. And the thing is, is just that people living with... Look, you're living without white folks now. Because no, look, you ain't included your in this system. When you, when you clip all right, that, all right, that all right. clip we on got the wall... All right, all right. We got the kudos of the day. The kudos of the week goes to... Matter of fact, we're going to give it to them for the whole month. Of November, and we just, we're not even in the middle of the month yet. Goes to Warren Houston, commercial unity. Everyone have a good day. Exactly.